and welcome back. This is episode six of the Use Gamers podcast. My name is Chris, and I will be doing the hosting duties for this evening. With me, as always, are Mike and Jared. Hello. Hi. Hello, everybody. And uh, we're just basically going to be going through a bunch of different games that we spent time with, uh, going through some thoughts and reviews and some short hits and some longer ones, and wrapping things up with a book relating to video games that we all got a chance to spend some time with over the last few months. So to get things started, Jared, what have you been uh, doing in the world of video games lately? Uh, well, um, some more the same, a little different. Um, I did tackle the Assassin's Creed 3 multiplayer, and um, I'll talk a little bit about that in the reviews. And I, uh, I've been trying to get through my true Vault Hunter mode playthrough of uh, Borderlands 2. So I've been pushing through the main story again, actually, instead of playing DLCs. And, um, it's been good. You know, some of the side playing in DLCs has actually helped me play up my loot which is helping me get through it now. Because actually, when I first got to my second playthrough, even as a level 50, I was really getting creamed mm-hmm. um, at a lot of points. And uh, especially the Mr. Torg DLC, I've gotten some real good loot from there. So it's been pushing me forward. Um, also on a note for Borderlands, uh, I mentioned in the last podcast these things in the um, Sir Hamelock's Big Hunt DLC that were these like iridium furnaces is what they look like and I didn't know what they were for. And uh, we don't... We like to avoid spoilers, so um, we actually just posted on our Facebook page a link to to what that is. So if you're interested, um, again, we're just the used gamers on Facebook, and you can go there to, to check that out. And um, and for all other stuff too, you know, we're looking forward to people. Uh, we, we actually have a couple people on there now, but anybody else who wants to come on and let us know things you want to see in the show or just chat with us or whatever, um, get on there. So that's what I've been playing uh, mostly still right <laughs> right now. The evergreen border lands too. Yeah, <laughs> forever probably till the end of time. Mike, what have you been playing? Uh, well, I mean, I've been spending most of my time. I, I picked up Dead Space Three when it came out, so that's been pretty much the majority of my uh, my gaming time. Uh, which you know, I'm going to give you kind of a more of a rundown of it in the reviews. But I mean, I will say I am enjoying it. It's definitely not my favorite of the Dead Space series, but I'll tell you a little bit more about that a little later. More Star Wars. Oh, I mean, I haven't been able to get into it as much. I've been kind of, you know, trying to get through Dead Space, you know, so I could, you know, give it a good review. But, eh, I mean, I still manage to poke into there every once in a while. So that's kind of like my game that I play when I just, you know, have some free time and jump in there. <laughs> when things free up. Yeah. Mike is planning a wedding for anybody who doesn't know Mike in person. So those things tend to take a little bit of your time. Just a tad, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, um, speaking of weddings and being married, my wife was gone for the better part of the last week, so my video game time went way up from where it normally is, so um, I I was able to play uh, clean up on a couple of things that I hadn't gotten around to finishing, and then just fool around with some things that I hadn't, um, some new things I hadn't played with too, so I finished up Dead Space 2, uh, which I had talked about a lot uh, in the last episode, and and I really enjoyed that. Um, You know, there were some points in that game that stuff got a little tricky, and I didn't know if it was from being overwhelmed with enemies or... There not being enough, you know, ammunition around, and and I will admit to something that I've done very infrequently. Actually, I don't know that I've ever done it, but about three quarters of the way through the game, I went and knocked the difficulty level down to an easier difficulty level because I wanted to keep progressing through the game. And I remember thinking, you know, that's that's okay. I just kind of want to see how this wraps up. So that probably helped things along a little way, but. I really, really like that series, and I kind of debated about whether or not to pick up Dead Space 3 right at launch. I ended up going for something else, which I'll talk about later, but um, but that was a lot of fun. Um, speaking of finishing up weird things I haven't played in a long time, I finally finished my playthrough of Metal Gear Solid 4. I've been spending a lot of time with my PS3, which I guess you could call that a playthrough of a game, right, Jared? Or I watched a really long movie. Yeah, I mean, you, I think, <laughs> when I, I, I beat that game a long time ago, and I, I think I spent more time watching cinematics than playing. Uh, that game actually, which is, I mean, Metal Gear's had a lot of cinematics, but not, none like four. It was unbelievable, and uh, equally, I, I, you probably found equally as confusing as all the rest. The plot turns are really weird in the Metal Gear series. I love the Metal Gear series, but it's it's often very confusing. Yeah. And uh, the, the you know, uh, tell me if you felt this way too. When I played two, you're playing Raiden, and all I wanted to do was be Snake. Right. And now in this one, I'm playing Snake, and all I wanted to do was be Raiden. Like, whoever I'm playing is not as cool 
Right. <laughs> and who's surrounding me. And I know they're making a game with Raiden that's coming out. Yeah. That's like a Bayonetta, it yeah, looks like. Rising Revengeance. Yeah, so I don't know if I'll like that, because um, I don't know if it's my kind of game, but it's really intriguing. So Yeah, the demos on Xbox Live, it's pretty frantic. It doesn't play anything like a Metal Gear game, and no. I, I kind of gave up on it, because I just I think I wasn't grasping the mechanics right. But it's yeah, it's very much like a Bayonetta. Like it's all over the place. But yeah, I, I think that one of the... One of the criticisms of the this game was that like it kind of like put too neat a bow on everything. It like tied up all the loose ends. But I didn't get that at all. And maybe just because it's been so long since I played through some of the other games in the series, like I just you kind of get to a point where I'm like, I'm just gonna let this wash over me and just go. Okay, this is if this doesn't make sense, then I just accept it doesn't make sense. And yeah, you know, it, uh, definitely tons of overly long things and just. You know, a callback to every moment of every game that's there. It's like, oh, remember when this happened? Remember when this happened? <laughs> like, yeah, I get it. You're going back because you're wrapping things up. But I will say, at one point late in the game, you get to play through um, one of the first levels of Metal Gear Solid, and the graphics switch over to a PlayStation One era mm-hmm. like graphical style, and that's, that's pretty cool. cool. Yeah. And I thought that was pretty impressive. And it ends up being like a dream that Snake was having or something. It was pretty cool. I'm, so, s- I'm still not certain, having played through that game, who Big Boss is at this point. Like he's <laughs> there's so many confusing. But you got to watch all these 45 about, minute debriefings to explain. I know. It. It was, Does it uh, make sense now? I don't know. There was too many things like where different characters were Big Boss and then weren't Big Boss, and then uh, it's hard to keep up with. Right, but uh, but then other than that, um, I played through. Um, I picked up the cave, which was uh, Ron Gilbert's new game with Double Fine on XBLA. We'll talk about that in the reviews a little bit more. Um, that was a ton of fun, a much shorter gaming experience. And then um, I finally got to spend some time with uh, the real Super Mario Brothers Two. You guys are familiar with the way this worked out. We didn't get the real Mario Brothers Two in America. Right. They reskinned another game because game, it was yeah. too hard. So I went back through and played through the lost levels the real Super Mario Brothers 2, and oh my god, that game is punishingly hard. Mm-hmm. I can see why it didn't come out here, but I had been uh, actually listening to a book on tape uh, called Super Mario. It's basically a history of Nintendo, and that got me thinking about uh, you know old games, old Nintendo games, so that, you know, that was an evening that I spent with that, so that was fun. And then um, I finally got a chance to jump into something that Mike and, and Jared will probably have something to say about, which is the Dragon Age series. So I have, I have I have Dragon Age. What do they call the one that the Ultimate Edition? I don't know. It's you know it's, it's Dragon Age Origins with all of the yeah DLC, DLC and so. Awakening Game, yeah. Game of the Year. Yeah, whatever that edition is called. And then I have um, <coughs> Dragon Age Two as well. So I finally opened up Dragon Age and installed it and got everything in there and started playing through it. And I, I played about an hour and a half of this game and I really don't like it at all. <laughs> uh. And here and I'll explain why. And, um, and I think it's because I have to, you have to think about it in terms of when I'm playing through this game. So here's the things that I have a problem with right now. Uh, the graphics are really ugly. This game does not look good. And I've seen what it looks like on PC and it looks beautiful. So I know the game was gimped to be on consoles. So, uh, but it, again, I'm not a graphics whore that way. So I'll say, okay, that's fine. I give it a pass for that. The battle animations, I really don't like those either. Those frustrate me. And I go, okay, well, it plays like a role-playing game, right? It's not really an action game, so I have to let that go, too. My protagonist doesn't have a voice now. Well, that's okay. That's the way games didn't used to be. I think the thing that's hard for me is you take everything that was done in the way that the the Mass Effect series, you know, worked out... And you, you have to parse some of that out. It's not the same game series. And I shouldn't expect it to be the same game series. But um, it's something I'll plug away at some more. But um, just at first you know glance of spending a short period of time with it, not, not grabbing me yet at this point. So I know I'm going to give it more time. But I, I'm not jumping in going, oh my god, I can't wait to play more of this game. Hey, real quick, Mike, wait. before you get in here. This, this is one time that this would be so much better as a video podcast. Because I wish you could all have watched Mike's face every time Chris said something. He was like biting his own finger to get in there. So you go. You go first. Well, no, I, I just, okay. I, I just, uh, well, I was just going to say that I find it interesting because your big complaints were how it looked, the fact that the character didn't talk, and the battle animations, how mm-hmm. they were very kind of scripted. And it's just funny, though, because in the second game... Mm-hmm. Your character talks. You know, you have a, a, a conversation wheel, mm-hmm. much like Mass Effect. Much more simplified. Uh, right. The, the look of it is a lot more kind of crisp. And, the of course, the battle is a lot more fast-paced. It's a little bit more sure, of a sure. button masher. But it's funny as those because there was a lot of people who were really mad about all those changes. Right, they the didn't like one. the way that the second one But, yeah, from out. what I've heard you say, and I would just say, you, you just wait Maybe till you play like the second, second one and better. you'll like it a ton better. So, yeah, I mean, I... I 
Yeah. So that's that's all I'm going to say with that. <laughs> I, and and you know, to be honest, your criticisms are fair actually, because it clearly was designed for PC. It was designed to be a game. I think that was a lot of pausing, you know, picking tactics for your group and then going. And I, I didn't really like playing it that way. Yeah. And so I actually played it on the easy difficulty, mm-hmm. so I didn't have to do that stuff. So I could play it more like a, a without pausing because I kind of don't care for that. I like you know action to happen. It's more exciting and fun to me. Um, graphically, it's just a little older, so right. it's not going to look as good. And uh, so your complaints are things I see; they're fair. And but the the big thing I think that people liked about the first one that they felt was lacking in the second that you may find is how story driven it is. Sure. Um, and the story of this of this one actually is is really I found to, to be really good. Um, with you having a certain amount of control over the story as well, mm-hmm. which I thought was great. Right. Um, in terms of, you know, not just like, oh, good versus evil playthrough. That kind of doesn't matter, actually. You can kind of play it however you want. Right. But just you can, there are a lot of choices for, like, factions and, mm-hmm. and who you want to go with, and, 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 and which gives it some replayability. Um, I know Mike's played it, like, seven times. How many times have you actually played it? Uh, F- five? No, probably closer to like seven or eight. At uh, least. Seven or eight, yeah. So I played probably each origin <laughs> twice. I would say. Yeah. So there's some replayability for people who love it, and so I understand your right. your stuff. But I would encourage you. To, you said you stick with it. Try do it because I think you'll start to get more into some of the story stuff, and um, you'll definitely like the second one better. Then I bet you hmm. will. Huh, and, maybe. And, uh, so we'll what, see. What origin did you pick out of curiosity? Uh, I followed your guys's recommendation in the Human Noble. No, oh, okay. One well, that, that one will help you get so. through it because definitely the storyline is. I feel like it was kind of designed with that one in mm-hmm. mind because it does seem to develop a lot better, and you actually it feels a lot more Especially ingrained in, in what like goes on. Some of the the antagonist that you play against <clears throat> in this is kind of important in the human noble story. It's kind of not in the others, yeah. And that so it gives you a little more, yeah. So I agree. I think it was, and, of, and I think part of it too is also like it, it's like if you jump into a well established like science fiction universe or a fantasy series of novels or something that are new to you. And you spend the first 150 pages going like, okay, I've just been hit with a million names and cities and towns and rivers and where you don't have any kind of, you know, basis for familiarity. It's like you go to something like, you know, Harry Potter and you'd be like, even people who don't know are like, well, I kind of know the basic stuff enough to kind of know what's going on. Even the Lord of the Rings now that the movies are out, people go, I can kind of feel my way through it. But, you know, something like, you know, the Song of Ice and Fire, like, I mean, that's a lot of characters in a lot of places, and it's dense, and you have to be willing to devote that time to becoming committed to it. So that's just what's going to take. It's just going to take time. And I'm really interested to see how the relationships play out, and I know there's a lot of characters that are really cool that I'm looking forward to getting to, but I think I was just a little taken aback by the way that it didn't grab me. But again, just realizing mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a different game. And like Jared said, like, yeah, I, I, I didn't tend to play Mass Effect with the starting and stopping the way that, I mean, it's designed to be played that way. You yeah. can play that way. There's nothing wrong with it. But it, it feels weird to interrupt actions constantly to be able to, you know, and that's just a function of the fact that you don't have 150 hotkeys that you can use and just map it all out to a Xbox controller that doesn't have that many options. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to play through. So so since that fantasy universe sort of let me down a little bit, uh, I decided to go back and get kicked in the crotch again and started playing through Dark Souls. And, God, Why? that game is just evil. Like, it's just evil. Like, it, it, it you know, it's like, it, I forgot how punishing Demon Souls was. And I, I'm, I've maybe, I've made it through one extremely minor boss after probably dying, you know, a dozen times. And it's just, you know, the penalty for death is so steep. And the learning curve is so high. It's like, I don't know what it is. I, I don't know what it is about these games, but I'm enjoying it <laughs> as much as that can be enjoyed. Uh-huh. It's the same part of me that wanted to play through the Lost Levels. It's this punishing Nintendo-era feeling of, I don't know, accomplishment when something works out right. So I'm going to try to stay away from walkthroughs, stay away from cheats, stay away from hints, and just see how far I get with it. But I know my attention is going to be pulled away by stuff like Bioshock and other things come out. And I would like to play Dead Space 3, too. So I'm looking forward to hearing what Mike has to say to that. And the, the last game I've been spending a lot of time with is um, for my 3DS, actually, which is something I don't spend a lot of time with which is uh, the new Fire Emblem game that came out. This was a series I'd never played before, so uh, I'm having a lot of fun with it. Strategy RPG, and I'll, I'll talk about that some more in the reviews. But uh, speaking of reviews, we're going to jump right in. We'll, we'll go with Jared to start things off uh, with his discussion of Assassin's Creed 3 and the multiplayer. Yes, so yeah, I finally got to get into the multiplayer, um, which historically I haven't actually been a huge fan of. T- typically, my experience with the multiplayer would go that I, I'd play it for a little while... 
you know, it's kind of fine, and I get really bored with it. And um, what I found with this multiplayer is that it was exactly the same. I, I played it through just about level 20 for two reasons. One, I wanted to give it a fair shake, since I'm going to review it. And two, there's an achievement for reaching level 20. So <laughs> um, that was encouragement to do that. So I, I played it for several hours, and I wanted to try a few different game modes and stuff like that. And um, what's really disappointing for me about it, because it, it actually is fairly fun, but what's disappointing is that I have the same problems with this iteration as I have for every time they've done multiplayer in the past. So um, with that, the biggest thing for me is that the way that they... I like that multiplayer games will reward you for playing them. But I don't like when the reward makes you better than people who just started. Where you literally have things they can't have that give you an advantage. I don't like that. Unlock skins and unlock things that are just fun or whatever. Don't give them an advantage because that to me is less fun and it, it cuts people like myself out of wanting to play because there's a point where you have a, you have a long range weapon. I had knives. The other people there had guns. I literally brought a knife to a gunfight. I had no other option because I can't unlock the gun to level 40 whatever to even use it. So these people could shoot me from across the board. Yeah. And I'm sitting there going, I gotta get you. Uh. No, I'm dead. And there, I mean, there were points where it was so frustrating that I was like beating my head against the wall. The other thing I found too is there's some, there's some like tricks to being really good at the multiplayer if you play in teams. If people are actually on a team that works together, they'll annihilate you in any team thing. Where the biggest problem I have is there are certain uh, game modes where certain people are, are the attackers and certain people are the defenders. And the defenders can stun the attackers, but they're at a disadvantage because if you attack at the same time, the attacker still wins. And, um, but if you're the defender, you can stun them. And what I found is that if there's... It happened. This, ha this actually happened to me at one point where there was three guys and I was going up to them and they used a smoke bomb to, to, to disorient me, which, by the way, I had not yet unlocked. And then one came up and he stunned me. And by the, right when I finished being stunned, there's still a moment after that that I can't attack yet. And the next guy could stun me. And then again with the third guy. They literally sat there so stunning me over in. and over in a loop until someone else showed up that had to chase them off. I was stuck. I, there was nothing I could do. I quit that game. I freaking rage quit. I was so mad. I'm like, screw this game. I'm not playing this. Like, I got out of there because these people were just not, not... I didn't even have a chance against, against that because that's mm -hmm. like... They were... They, you know, the system's built that they could manipulate it that right. way. So, I just felt like there were weaknesses and they didn't address any of them. Hmm. And there's no improvement in this multiplayer over the previous ones. They just you just have to re-unlock the stuff you unlocked last time while people are whooping your butt because they already unlocked it. So I, I was really as much as there were aspects of it that are fun and it's a cool idea, especially the whole thing that you're in the animus working for the um, Templars. Yeah, basically you're like there hmm. in training for the Templars. That's that's been the thing the whole time. Right. Yeah, um, like that's cool. Like and there's little videos you're gonna unlock and stuff. Mm, great, but like overall not not very pleased. <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah, sorry, I, mean, I think off, the, Montreal. I love you, but yeah, I think a lot of times when games nowadays design those the multiplayer, especially the verses, I think they're designing them for the hardcore multiplayer people who sit there and play it all the time and learn all the strategies and have a team of friends that they play with all the time and you know uh, all that kind of stuff. I think that's what they design it for. I, I don't think they necessarily design it for you know people like us. I think the uh, the co-op like horde modes and stuff are designed more for people like us that that work well, better in that kind of setting. That's fine so, then. Just know you're going to alienate a certain amount of your audience and yeah. be prepared for that. But I, I think it's a small com amount compared. I mean, you can look at any of the Call of Duties. Like obviously, the majority of the people who play that game want that competitive multiplayer that punishes people like us that don't play it enough. But right. yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's that whole thing about each game tries to fill a certain niche, and obviously, the multiplayer is not designed, or at least that one's not I just, designed. For I just us. at this point, like I I don't like the trend that everyone thinks they have to do multiplayer. Right. And I'd rather you just. If, if you don't have a franchise that really lends the multiplayer, just spend that time making my single-player experience better, and I'll be happy. Now, sometimes it surprises you, like with Mass Effect 3 and stuff, but I, I don't know. They've been doing this multiplayer for a while, too. They've had several iterations, and it's just that. Well, having now you know played through these multiple versions and 
you know, news just came out recently that, you know, the next game in the series is going to be Assassin's Creed 4. It's going to be a new character, a new setting. So and we'll have to assume there's going to be some multiplayer component because why yeah, wouldn't they? They probably. just have been. Can you see, based on having played through the multiplayer of all the games leading up to now, is there is there something unexplored or was there some promise in any of those that you felt like, yeah, this is onto something that they could maybe build onto in the future? Is there an Assassin's Creed multiplayer that you would find intriguing that you think could be really fun? Well, if, if I, I would have to guess, just out of, I mean, this might this is my personal thing, and I, I like kind of like what I was saying is, I think a maybe a more mission based cooperative kind of one would be cool. Maybe there's a castle you have to storm, and you and your friend or even multiple friends, you know, are all assassins, and you have to go through and use cooperative tactics in order to siege this castle. I mean, in my opinion, that would be kind of cool for me. Um, and just, uh, you know, obviously I think I would enjoy that better than the verses. And, I mean, I would just assume, Jared, that might kind of cater more towards you because I think we have a similar feeling when it comes to multiplayer. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I guess... I don't know. I feel like this game is, is a single-player experience. I felt the same way about, like, Uncharted. They made a multiplayer. I didn't touch it. It was oh, not yeah. anything I was interested in at all. And they crafted a beautiful single-player experience, as did Assassin's Creed for three. But I just I think it's just something that's not going to end up interesting me because I can't see them changing it that much now. Right. I mean, if they change it now, the people that really play it are just going to get mad. So I, I don't foresee them putting out a multiplayer that really grabs me, hmm. even even in the future. Right. Which I didn't really foresee it for this one either. I just wanted to give it a try. That's cool. Well, it's interesting. We'll have to see where it goes in the future. And uh, speaking of games that tried to do something new with multiplayer, uh, we can switch over to Mike, because Mike's been spending a lot of time with Dead Space 3, a game that had been notorious ever since it was announced that it was going to have a multiplayer component. But what have you done with this, Mike? What can you tell us about this yeah, game? Yeah, um, well, I mean, I guess uh, I'll kind of just start off for maybe anybody who's uh, not really familiar with the you know Dead Space universe. You know, this is the third game. And basically all the games revolve around these things called markers, which, um, you know, uh, they discovered one on Earth, supposedly a long, long time ago in the game series, and, and it was hidden away. And then since then, mankind has tried to recreate them because they provide limitless energy. Of course, the fallback to it is that it also provides you with these uh, infectious zombie-like creatures called necromorphs. So, you know, hey, give and take. Um, so, <laughs> Seems like it even matters. Yeah, it's also created, of course, this crazy uh, religion based around them called the Unitologists, which, uh, you know, um, we'll mention them a little later. But the main character, of course, is Isaac Clarke, and I always kind of compare him very much to, um, uh, you know, you're, you're saying, like, Gordon from Half-Life. He's this simple kind of engineer kind of guy who's stuck into this situation, um, he travels uh, on the, this uh, ship to this uh, to find his wife that has been stranded on this other ship that's gone, uh, you know, uh, uh, incommunicado for a while. So, and then he stumbles, of course, this whole thing um, regarding the markers. So then, uh, in the the second game, he's been captured, and um, he finds out he's basically been given this ability to build or destroy these markers, and he finds out that there's more of them everywhere. Um, and so the third game picks up uh, a, a pretty good ways after the second game, and uh, the main character, Isaac Clarke, has kind of gone into hiding. He doesn't really want to be involved with the markers, um, and, and he's just kind of you know, trying to, to escape from it in a way. Um, but he's kind of drugged back into it because his new uh, love interest uh, that he meets in the second game... Uh, has has gone missing, and it turns out that she was actually looking for a way to stop the markers. So now he has to go and, of course, try to to find her and and rescue her and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, which it, it builds an interesting thing in the game because they have kind of broken up in a way. So there's an interesting kind of uh, dynamic with that when it comes to the dialogue. But that's totally different for any of you guys who are into that. But I, I will say this: there were a lot of people, of course, who were a little iffy about this one because they did do a lot of changes. Um, for the most part, it still kind of is the same old Dead Space. Um, the first part kind of gives you a really big hint into the differences because the first part of the game, uh, you know, it's not the corridors. You're running through this kind of city slums with a submachine gun. You don't have your special suit on. You just have like a leather jacket and everything, and you're shooting at um, the, the radical unitologists that are coming after you because they want to kill you because they feel like you're going to stop um, the markers from killing everybody, which is kind of what they want to happen because, well, they're, they're crazy religious people. So, um, 
But of course, once you get into space, it goes right back to the normal. Uh, you know, you have your typical narrow corridors. Um, of course, you're fighting all these necromorphs like usual, and um, there's also all the, there's a lot of puzzle-based stuff to Dead Space. Always has been. Um, they have a lot of the same ones returning, as well as some new ones that are really fun. Um, one which is a, 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 a um, engineering electronic interface that you'll run into every once in a while, which is really cool. It causes you to have a lot of uh, you move your left and right thumbstick and have to draw these kind of patterns. And it really kind of tests your uh, um, coordination with your two fingers to see if you can pull it off in a timely fashion. So <laughs> those are kind of fun. Um, and then, uh, you know, once you get down to kind of the planet, it does change a little bit. Um, it, you know, the, the areas do open up a little bit. Um, it's an ice planet. Uh, it's called Tau Volantis. And they use kind of ice storms uh, for kind of more of a corridor kind of feel to it. Still kind of make it feel that same kind of space station-wise. But it definitely is a little different. Um, also, you know, you do kind of go underground a lot, so that allows you to still kind of keep the corridors, and when you go up top, you know, you have to worry about your body temperature instead of air, like in the other games when you went out into space. Um, <clears throat> but they did a lot of changes, um, they added a new crafting system. In the other games, you know, you picked up credits and were able to buy new weapons, ammo, med packs, suits, whatever. Um, while in this one, it's actually uh, more of a resources base. There's no cash in this one. You pick up resources and are able to build things. Um, instead of selling things, you deconstruct them. Um, of hmm. course, you can also, you know, the big thing is the weapon construction, they add, which I, I kind of really didn't get into too much. It's, it's kind of fun, and it's interesting to add a little things. Uh, but in the end, I kind of just like the basic guns. Even in the earlier games, I didn't use a lot of the special guns that you picked up. I usually just stuck with a couple few ones that they gave you right at the beginning. Right. I felt like those kind of covered it. Although, I will say, um, like, with your basic plasma cutter that you have, I did add this kind of blade onto it, which increases the melee damage of it, which I kind of like that. It was it was fun to kind of play with. Um, but if you do want to find, you know, new ones, it, it does definitely um, promote experimentation. If you build something and you completely don't like it, you can disassemble it down to all the parts that you used to make it. So it's not like once you make something, oh, well, those all those parts yeah, are gone. Yeah. Um, you can also pick up blueprints throughout the world as well as get blueprints from your friends, uh, which we'll talk about the co-op in a little bit. Um, upgrades on the guns are now interchangeable. You'll pick up these little circuits that are, you know, they'll have different stats to them, damage plus one or whatever, and you can stick those in the guns, which is, is hmm. pretty nice, especially the fact that you can actually take them out and put them in a different gun when you make a new one, let's say. Um, ammo is universal in this one, which I thought was really nice, because in the oh, other games cool. you had all these different guns and you had to pick up all this different ammo and find out a way to carry it around in your limited inventory. Um, it was kind of a pain. In this one you just get one little ammo clip, and each gun takes a certain different amount of ammo per shot. So okay. that's kind of how it divides it up. So that was a pretty nice um, change that I thought they made. With the suits, um, <clears throat> for the first part of the game, you're pretty much just going to have one suit. Later on in the game, when you get down to the planet, you'll pick up a suit that helps you out with, you know, so you don't have to worry about getting cold and all that kind of stuff. But for the most part, it's not like the first games where you picked up suits that increased your armor or health you actually just upgrade that yourself it's a universal thing so you upgrade your health it upgrades it for every single suit um there's also new suits that you can download that are pretty much just cosmetic like i use a suit that i got for playing mass effect 3 oh, the like n7, n7 suit. Yeah. yeah so i mean those are kind of nice um but it is kind of disappointing in that because it was kind of nice when you found the new suits in the first. And so you don't get one. to have the cool animation where you well, climb you do. inside the. Oh, look you it. do, but that's now, like the best part of the game. But suits are kind of more of a cosmetic look than actual function in this one. It gotcha. seems like so. Yeah, um, and this one another new thing is they actually added in side quests, which was new to the series, which is kind of interesting. Um, you know, I've done uh, you know most of the ones I've come across, and they're kind of nice. You get a big boost of equipment at the end. Um, not necessarily something that I would. You know, if you did skip it, you're not really going to be missing out on that much. Like, just a couple extra equipment, but it's really easy to find <laughs> stuff like that, too. So, and, and it also, if you're like me and not really into the whole weapon construction, it's... I don't even know if it's necessarily worth it, but that's totally up to you. Um, and then, of course, the big change is the co-op, which I got a little bit of time to try this out. Um, the big thing they raved about with the core, one of the big things is that it's a different story and dialogue because the secondary character is this guy named John Carver, and he's this hard-ass space marine. So obviously very different from your, from uh, Isaac Clarke, the main character. So they were supposed to be very kind of play off each other in different ways. They said that, you know, you get a totally different, uh, not a totally different story, but it's a very different kind of story in a way with lots of different dialogue, uh, you know, with the cutscenes. I didn't really witness it that much. The few times where uh, Carver is actually involved in the dialogue, even when I played through on single player, he kind of 
magically showed up at that part, even the cutscene, to give his couple of lines. Mm. So I don't really feel like it changed too much in there. But, yeah. So his character does or does not exist in the single-player campaign? He does, yes. He oh, just doesn't so follow like you new... around necessarily, okay. but he does some to magically show up at certain times to, you know, <laughs> give his little two cents. Does, um, he play, does he play different? No, he doesn't play different at all. I mean, his suit looks a little different. It's blue lights on the back with red lights on the faceplate. You know, it looks a little different. Blue. Yeah, it's, it's, he, you can use the exact same guns that, you know... Isaac does, and there's not really a big difference in there. It is drop-in, drop-out co-op, which is kind of nice. So if you're playing, somebody can jump into your game and then leave, and it doesn't really affect you, except for the fact that you may get a little different dialogue. Um, one thing I noticed is it gets a little crowded, because the parts where it is very narrow corridors, when you're walking around with two people, it, it, it can get a little crowded, and the person can get in your way a lot trying to make shots. Um, so maybe that's why they added in more of the places on the planet where it's a little bit more open because it does make it a little bit easier to do co-op. But of course, if you're a person who just wants to do it single player, it, you know, it can kind of be disappointing to go into those open areas where it kind of changes the feel of it. Um, so that was a big one problem that I saw with it. Um, uh, with the uh, crafting system, there are these things that are attachments you can put on your gun that actually work for co-op. Like if you use a med kit, it actually heals your partner a little bit as well. Or if you use a stasis pack... Um, so those were kind of cool little additions to the, the weapon construction, I guess, if you wanted to play co-op, and that way you can actually play as a team a little bit more. And some of the puzzles were made co-op um, when you played with another person, mm -hmm. uh, like, but in a way it kind of made it easier. I feel like the co-op kind of in a way was almost maybe their way of trying to cater to people who didn't like the experience of the Dead Space because they didn't like the isolation, they didn't like the difficulty of it. Because I feel like adding another person made it a lot easier just in the battle scenes because you got somebody watching your back. It also takes away a lot of that suspense and that helplessness because you have a buddy there to help you out, healing you, shooting characters off of you, doing whatever. Okay, and what did you think about that? Because those are like two of the things that people love about this series. So it's weird for me for them to cater yeah. to people who don't and care that's for that. What I think is, I feel like the co-op was added in because playing through the single player is a lot like Dead Space, and you'll get that same kind of feeling. I feel like the co-op was added on to maybe bring in new fans for people who didn't necessarily like the feel of Dead Space. Because this totally changes it. But in a way, I feel it makes it too easy. Like a lot of the puzzles, like that one puzzle that I said I like, that tested out your coordination. Well, if you do it with two-player, you both take one stick. So it's really easy. You're just moving this one little dot to this place you need to be to. It's, it mm. makes it ridiculously easier than it was. I mean, also just like the battles, boss battles, everything is so much easier because you have this whole other person. And it's not like there's more necromorphs. It's not like anything is made up in difficulty. Oh, really? It's kind of the same game, just now you have a buddy next to you. Hmm. So, in a way, I feel like it kind of took away a lot of what Dead Space is, which is why I kind of feel it was made for maybe people who try to draw in new fans. Do you think it will? Probably not, just in the effect <laughs> that it's the third of the game. and right. if, if people are already just not into Dead Space by now, they're not going to. And also, I feel like with the kind of stuff that they changed in order to incorporate the co-op, like the larger areas and the different things like that, I feel you might kind of alienate some of your original fans, which I already know. I've talked to some other people who are big Dead Space fans who are not big fans of the third one. Like me, it's definitely not my favorite. second one's still my favorite. I may mean, still like it, but it's not really giving me the same kind of, you know, enjoyment that the previous ones did. So right. still a good game. You know, I would still give it, you know, a pretty good score. I would say if you're into Dead Space, definitely still go try it out. Um, but, you know... Don't be expecting it to outdo the other ones. You know, it's it's not going to be as good. But the storyline is still... I'm still getting into it. There's a lot of mystery to it, trying to figure out the beginning of the markers and what started it and maybe how they can finally stop it for good. So, um, you know, I would say if you're into Dead Space, definitely go pick it up. Um, but, you know, just be prepared for dealing with a lot of the changes. <laughs> Stuff being a little bit different. So do you think that, yeah. that some of that frustration of the co-op might be sort of... Uh, could could you intervene and say, well, maybe if you played it at a higher difficulty with multiple people, it might That's, be more fun? Yeah, I didn't try that, but I, I think, yeah, I think that would definitely add to it because of the fact that having that extra person does make it so much easier. If you, like, I did it on normal. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so if you did it on a, a harder difficulty or even in, like, the, the when they open up the nightmare difficulty where you only get, like, the couple of saves and everything is scrounging, right. um, I think it would definitely make it, uh, maybe a lot more of an enjoyable experience in that 
hmm. you know, regard. But of course, if you're just into the Dead Space because of the, you like the feel of Dead Space, right. the co-op is always going to change that and I think always kind of take it away from that. So hmm. it, it really just depends on what you're looking for out of Dead Space. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, so. Well, we'll look forward to you continuing to play through that. And see what you can tell us. And I'll probably get into that at some point. It did look fun. And again, we did like the first one. Have you gotten to play through the game at night with the lights off on headphones? Yes. I haven't done it with headphones. Because you have yet, to do that with this series. But I have series. done it at night in the dark. Oh, and, you got to do it with headphones. Yeah, it's still got that ability to kind of make you jump. You know, they still have those noises that pop out and that stuff. I mean, they st- it's still Dead Space in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. You know, I will say that. Like, that's what I'm saying. Is if you like Dead Space, it's still got some of that in there. Um, but they definitely did make a lot of changes in this one. Um, some of which are, are kind of nice and, and refreshing, some of which, you know, it's nice they had it in there, but it's not really, like, with the weapon construction. Yeah, it's nice. You can totally skip it and not even do it. It's nice to have, but really they could have skipped it and, you know, wouldn't have made a big difference. Hmm. Um, and, of course, fighting, like, humans in this one is, is only, a, there's only a couple of parts. I will say that. Like, a lot of people worry, like, oh, you're fighting guys with machine guns. But there really isn't that much of that. The majority of it is still you're fighting necromorphs. There's only like a couple of scenes. And usually even when you're fighting guys, there are still necromorphs jumping out. And they usually kill those guys before you get a chance oh, and they come after you. Well, that's good. I was like a three-way battle. Those are always fun. Where yeah. you like play your enemies off each other. Exactly, yeah. Which is always a good idea to take out the necromorphs first because they're harder to kill. And uh, they usually end up winning anyway against the, <laughs> the weak humans. So use the bad guys to your advantage. Yes. Well, uh, a good couple, advice for life. The good advice for life. That's right. Use the <laughs> mutant aliens against your enemies. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, Dead Space Three was something that I had kind of thought about picking up, and I actually got into a text conversation with Mike while I was at the store trying to figure out what I wanted to do, and I was kind of getting into debate: or do I want to buy some new headphones? Do I want to pick up Dead Space Three, or do I want to get this game for the 3DS? And I ended up getting a game for the 3DS, which I don't know. It just felt like uh, something that was a little bit different. I've been hearing a lot about. Uh, the new Fire Emblem game. Have you guys played any games from these series? Because you guys have long history of Nintendo consoles. Time ago. So this goes back to Super Nintendo? Yes. GBA, I know, had uh, several games. Super, that's where I played it. Super Nintendo? Okay, I, I yeah, I can't Super remember. Nintendo, but, so, um, and I think that's the last time I played one yeah. of them was Super Nintendo. I think they've existed in one form or another ever since then. I know there was a GameCube game. There was one on the Wii recently. Um, and several on the GBA, but this was a series I hadn't really played through. So basic conceit of the Fire Emblem games is they're strategy RPG games um, that you know are usually quite long and contain many, many, many characters that can have a variety of different relationships and feature permadeath. So big parties, lots of different characters, and when they're dead, they're dead, they're gone. You can't bring them back. Keep going. So that's kind of the, the hook, right, for a lot of people. And um, what do you remember of playing through these games? I mean, was that something you were interested in? You had fun with? What do I Did remember? it leave any impression at um, all? I remember... Okay, I don't like permadeath. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, I remember being, getting frustrated by the game because I, if ever any character died, I'd be like, no, nope, reload, gotta redo it again. again. And, I, and I ended up replaying way too much of the game. And I didn't beat it. Um, because that was... That, I just couldn't do it, you know? Like, I... I yeah, I've talked before about how much I love Final Fantasy. You can lose all of your party but one person and have them have one hit point. You win. You're, you're, yeah, everybody's magic. Yay, everyone's back. They're resurrected. It's fine. And so, you know, that was what I love to do. And so these, uh, I, I never really got into it. I played a little bit. And uh, I, actually, the whole genre of strategy games have never been terribly appealing to me because of that. I find that that's, even without permanence, I find that they're just... Maybe I just suck at them, but they right. seem too hard to me for me to really get into them. They seem really uh, so challenging. I stop feeling like I'm having fun. Yeah. No, and that's interesting. Somebody, uh, you, if you look at it, because the way that this game works, and I'm assuming the other ones are fairly similar, is it's these, these grid-based chapters where, I mean, the, the story has an overall narrative, which is told through these really, really gorgeous anime cutscenes, which look fantastic, especially when the 3D's turned on. Um, on the 3DS, but you know the, the actual quote-unquote gameplay is divided up into these very discrete little chapters, and every chapter can take anywhere from 10 to 10 minutes to I don't know maybe an hour or longer as you get into the higher difficulty levels of the game, um, where you know you pick a certain number of party members, you put them on the chessboard essentially, and just see how things play out. And you know everybody has a limited movement space every you know it's all turn based so mm-hmm. it's it's you're basically playing chess and again like you said this has never really been a genre that's held much interest for me and i think because when i've spent time with stuff like 
Advance Wars or other games like that. Like, I just don't think I'm good at them. <laughs> and I think that, that what it made me realize is that in a lot of different RPG settings, depending on how deep the systems are and depending on what the different hooks are, you know, I think that if you can't get a really good, solid grasp on, on like all the details of the system, you're always going to end up being frustrated and missing out because I know if, you know, if there's a way to equip sub-menu items that I just never learned about because I missed that tutorial or didn't read that instruction manual, like, you're always going to be butting your head up against this thing. Yeah. I remember reviews coming out for the first Mass Effect game that were horrible reviews, you know, two or three out of ten because it was the worst shooter I've ever played. And these reviewers didn't understand the fact that your stats affected your ability to be an effective, like, weapons user in the game. They're just like, this is dumb. I'm just going to go play Gears of War. These guns don't work at all. Well, you didn't level to a point where... So it's like having to understand those systems. So what what's fun about this game is that you get all these different characters, and they all have their different personalities, and they are very JRPG archetypes of... The crazy, high-pitched, excited girl and the tough, brooding guy with a woman's haircut. Like, I mean, it's, it's nothing that you... It's nothing outside of what you would expect from, like, a Final the Fantasy game. huge sword strapped to his back. That's right. That yeah. probably has a gun on it, too. I, I don't know how I that know. works. That's right. It's it's medieval, but it's the future. I don't really understand how this world works. Here's a war and have a chainsaw. Why That's can't true. a sword have a shotgun? A man? gun blade. Yeah, but... um. So the <laughs> idea is, you know, you have all these characters. You pick a certain number of them. You throw them on the board. And you go, okay, we got to defeat these enemies. Um, whenever you attack uh, other party members, enemy party members in this game, you, um, you're best served by placing characters next to each other on the battlefield. So if somebody's one square over and I move over to, you know, attack them or engage them, um, having somebody next to you actually will aid you in the way that that battle plays out. So, and it's very much like a tabletop RPG in that as soon as you engage someone and you hit the fight button i mean all bets are off it's a dice roll so and if you were to go back if you you know you reset the game and go back and that battle will play out exactly the same way like it's it's the system has decided how that will end up and that's where permadeath becomes very frustrating because mm -hmm. it may look for all intensive purposes like there's no way this is going to go wrong and then for whatever reason your character gets ganked and you're like Oh, and somebody who you spent a dozen hours with just says, like, I guess I wasn't strong enough, huh? And they disappear, and you're like, wait, you're gone now forever? Okay, I, I guess so. There's a mode in the game that you can play um, that's not what they call the classic mode, where it, permadeath is not on. You can turn that off in this game, which I guess a lot of people are upset about, because that's not how it's supposed to be played, man. But, um, you know, the way the battles play out in this little 3D animated thing, it's really cool, it looks fun. I mean, and there's tons of weapons, lots of different things to you know, equip, and it's just, it's it's not a light sort of game, which is funny because picking up either that or Dead Space 3, like, for as much as there's different stuff you can do with weapons crafting and side missions and stuff like that, it's still a game where you can just, like, sit through and, like, muscle through a section. It's very vicarious and, you know, visceral action, and this is, like, the polar opposite. I'm basically playing, like, Japanese chess with these little crazy cartoon characters, so... It's fun. I'm, I'm eager to play through the whole thing, and I've got a couple games kind of sitting around that, you know, sort of closely resemble similar systems. I picked up Valkyria Chronicles for the PS3, just because that's a game that looked really interesting to me, but again, it's strategy RPG, which, for the longest time, I wouldn't touch anything that was a turn-based RPG. Like, I just did not like it, because I think I didn't grasp certain fundamental parts of it. It's like, yeah... I played through Chrono Trigger when I was younger. I can leave all that behind, which is probably one of the reasons I haven't spent a ton of time with the Final Fantasy games. But as those games progress, you get these really interesting battle systems, and it just yeah. becomes something about, like, if I learn how to use the sphere grid or, you know, what depending on whatever your systems are, like, that's the fun of the game. So if you don't get the systems right, there's no fun in playing the game. Yeah, so. and, and turn base is gone now, but... yeah. As so many of the things we loved as young children yeah, well, are gone now. <laughs> I guess they have to evolve eventually. But I still like my turn-based RPG. Yeah. Uh, every once in a while you get a little gem that comes out that has turn-based to it. Yeah. You know, it just is mostly handheld and stuff now. But yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting the way that like the the 3DS and the Vita and the PSP have become sort of the, in large part, the bastions of those really sort of throwbacky. 150 hour RPGs and yeah. I, I'm well served by the fact that I can just keep this thing on my nightstand and if I want to sit and fuss with it for 30 minutes before I go to bed that's cool and I'm making slow progress through a game and 
That's cool. That's nice to have. This can be, it's a good second game to have that, mm-hmm. you know, when I'm not playing other things, it's just something I can keep going back to. Mm-hmm. It's also nice to have gaming that's not on the TV. Because again, you know, two of us are married. One's going to be married in like a week. You don't get full access to the TV when you share a home with somebody else, you know? You can't just assume like, oh, hey, honey, watch me play video games. I hope it's fun. Right. They don't want to do that. So it's nice to have, you know, a game that, you know, yeah, okay, we're watching TV and I'm still playing a game. So it's good for me. <laughs> So strategy RPG on the handheld is the wife, pro-wife uh, game there you go. that I'm playing. Well, just right handhelds now. are the pro-wife. That's, that's true. My, that's like my phone is what that's for now. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, back to the console space. Mike and I got to spend time with a downloadable game uh, that I think Mike played the demo of. I played through the full campaign um, of The Cave. Had you guys heard much about this game? This game really kind of came out of nowhere. It had been talked about and then just showed up on the marketplace one day. Yeah, well, I had heard little kind of hints about it coming out um, before it did. Um, you know, back before you know X Play got canceled for no reason. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, they talked about it, and, and they seemed to be really excited. Obviously, just because of you know, you know, Double Fine's ability to make these really entertaining games, and uh, they just it seemed like it sounded like a lot of fun. And, and yeah, I, I did only get to play the demo, but. Um, from what I did play, I enjoyed it. It's got that typical humor that you'll find in a lot of their games. Just from the opening kind of uh, monologue that you get, it, you can already kind of get the feel of what this game is going to be about. Um, um, so I enjoyed it, but it is it is pretty difficult. I will say, you know, it's a kind of a puzzle platformer game. And for any of you guys who maybe have problems with those, like me, I'm not like I'm not really <laughs> that necessarily big into a lot of those puzzle games, like you know, Portal and such. Um, because, you know, I, I just kind of look for more, even though I do enjoy games with puzzles, um, you know, I, I just like them kind of more as an addition to the game, not the game itself. And right. that was kind of the, the thing I found with this one, is I did get stuck, um, a couple of times, and especially one time where I literally could not figure out the way to get past it, so I don't think that it would be a game that I would purchase to play. Um, but, I mean, I, I still enjoyed what I played through it, at least just even for the comedy aspect. Yeah, it's a really funny game. I mean, the basic conceit is that you're given these seven characters um, that, you know, don't really have names. They're just kind of told what they are. You've got the adventurer, the time traveler, you know, the, the twins, the, the, hillbilly the monk, the, the hillbilly, the knight. Yeah, it's these Couldn't very... could be more random. The scientist. I think we just named all of them, actually. And, um, and they're all going into this cave in order to find something that they want. And the way that the game plays out, um, it's narrated by the cave itself. So the, the narrator is the cave, this anthropomorphic cave, who he makes several jokes about how that makes dating really troublesome because he's a cave, not a person. That was weird. But um, <laughs> so the idea is these guys all have these reasons to go into the cave. So depending on what characters you pick on your loadout, so you have seven characters, you have to pick three in every playthrough. That'll give you access to different areas of this greater cave. So theoretically, there's a gigantic map that all of the different areas you know exist as part of. Depending on what characters you pick, that'll sort of funnel you through different areas. And um, the game's really, it, it's well animated, it looks neat, it's, it's very cartoony, it's not very realistic. Um, it plays kind of like a Metroid or a Symphony of the Night, so it's got that Metroidvania thing, but it's definitely very much an adventure game. I think one of the things that helped me with it is the fact that whenever you come in contact with an interactive item, it'll usually like show on the screen like, this is well, a hot called, dog, yeah, this yeah. is a wrench. So if you come across anything that a name shows up, you probably know, well, I'm gonna probably need this at some point. And the way that the game plays through is that, you know, with the press of a button, you take control of one of the three characters. So it's a lot of like, all right, take this guy up into the corner, he's gonna go wait at the lever. The guy down here is gonna stand on this platform. And when this ball swings by, I'm going to have to trigger this, then switch over to this guy who's going to pull a lever, which will open a gate that the third guy can run under. So yeah, you definitely have to have this lateral thinking about all these different things. And like you said, the, the, the main puzzle that kind of makes up that demo is not easy. Like it's one of the more difficult ones in the game. So it is, I guess, kind of a good representation of what the game might throw at you. But I mean, if anybody has a, a, a strong history of playing through like the LucasArts games, which, or the Sierra games, which I think, I think were even harder then the LucasArts ones were always a little bit more forgiving. Um, and that's basically the lineage. I mean, this is... Ron Gilbert made this, so Maniac Mansion, Day of the Tentacle. And this game has some jokes that refer to both of those old games. Um, but it's 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 fun. Each person's section can take about two hours to play through. You multiply that out, and you've got less than 20 hours of gameplay. So I played through it three times, so I could see every character's kind of 
story. And, and what I really liked about it is everybody's doing these weird, horrible, selfish things, and everybody comes to a bad end. And that's kind of the fun thing of the story. It's like, well, it, and it, it's like, is it a morality lesson? Is it, it, it just reminded me of like an Edward Gorey story or like the series of unfortunate events novels that came out a couple years ago by Lemony Snicket, those little kids novels, where just bad things happen to everybody. Just everybody ends horribly. So it's fun because, you know, in, in games tend to resolve things and have, you know, a, a cool little you know, bow tied on everything and just nothing happens right for any of these characters and lots of other people get stepped on in the process but you know it's 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 a fun little thing and i like the idea that now we can you know spend five ten fifteen dollars on something that you know you could play through in a weekend if you wanted to or you can make really slow progress through and just sort of you know squeeze the marrow out of it like there's really not much more that i could do with this game i think there's alternate endings for all the characters but again the story in quotation marks, plays through as little, like, graphics that show up on the screen. So it's like a little animated picture. And you're like, oh, I have to unlock all ten pictures for every character to see, like, what their whole story is. So it takes shortcuts that way versus, you know, a big $60 game. But I guess it's not pretending to be a big $60 game. So that's kind of a cool thing. Yeah. So it's fun. And that's cool. You know, Double Fine, you got to give them a lot of credit for... Um doing things like that where they just kind of take chances you know like they do things that are different it's kind of one of the awesome things about that company is they do things like that a lot and I think that kind of innovation is not always rewarded but often is really good for the overall industry as a whole I think it encourages other game makers to take chances and, and sometimes they, they find these things that you know people really latch onto as well so that's, that sounds pretty cool yeah and it's funny to think that if you think about like the history of the modern version of that company with what Tim Schafer is doing, I think that a lot of the stuff that's happened in the last few years, I mean, we basically have to thank the very poor performance of Brutal Legend. I mean, that game essentially failed, so they sort of lost their contracts with the big publishers, with EA and stuff. Even though that game was fun, I mean, mm -hmm. that game was a lot of fun. It wasn't the greatest game ever made, but it was really funny and, you know, did some interesting things with gameplay. But as a result, they said, okay, well, we're now just going to spend our time focusing on these weird little smaller things like costume quests and stacking. stacking and, yeah. um, what was it? Trenched. Did you guys play that? That game was so cool. Trenched, no. Yeah, it was a weird game. Yeah, but, I played the trial for it. Yeah, yeah. It was fun. Yeah. So it, it is kind of cool that, you know, a company could sustain themselves by making these smaller projects that you can turn around a lot faster, have a couple teams working on them so that, Every year you get two or three double fine games where it's not like, you know, every year, you know, every five years I have to wait for the big Bethesda RPG that's going to come out. Like, <laughs> it's cool that you can get these smaller experiences. Mm -hmm. That's pretty fun. Well, that's about it for the games itself. But one final thing we did want to talk about tonight was um, a piece of literature that we got to spend time with. Um, all of us got to read through Ready Player One. Uh, which was, I think, Mike's copy of the book that we all read. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> this was a book that I had been hearing about for a while. Mike read it, gave it to Jared. Jared liked it, gave it to me. Um, so, Mike, since it's your book, we'll let you take the main <laughs> handle on this. Just tell us a little bit about the conceit of the story itself. What's this book all about? Well, the book came out uh, a couple years ago. It's definitely not a new book in any way. Um, but, yeah, the book's called Ready Player One. Um, it's it's a very interesting uh, book. It's written by Ernest Cline and... Um, uh, he's uh, the the author Ernest is a really really big fan of the 80s uh, pop culture video games all that kind of stuff and this book is kind of written as a tribute to all of that so uh, if you're a child of the 80s like us and into video games and 80s pop culture and that kind of stuff I would definitely suggest the book it's a lot of fun but um, the book is is uh, the main character is this uh, kid named um, Wade Watts um, and he lives or he, he uh, is in the future and in the future, the, the, this guy named Holiday has created this virtual reality world called the Oasis. And inside of it, there are hundreds and hundreds of different worlds, all of them designed after basically favorite video games, storylines, uh, you know, that these people can, they create an avatar and they jump into these little suits that they basically enter this uh, virtual reality world. So you can go... Um, do quests on a uh, on a WoW world, or you can go uh, uh, do a. Uh, there's a Blade Runner world. There's uh, you know uh, Lord of the Rings kind of world. Um, all these different uh, places. Um, they, there's they also get... quite non-game related worlds. I mean, people kind of yes. They kind of live here. So yeah. there's like industry and, and there's schools. School. He, goes school he actually there. goes to school in in this, and that's the whole thing. Is the the world in itself pretty much everybody 
because the the suits that the headsets the most basic headset that you can get the the bottom of the line one is pretty much given out free right um so anybody can jump in there and you have to gain experience to level up and of course there are certain people who can afford to buy all the fancy stuff kind of similar to like your versus multiplayer um there are definitely some people who have all the cool stuff and then there are some people um like wade who's kind of on the poorer side who has only the most basic stuff he's like a level i think two character has nothing but like a little short sword and a shield that he looted in some dungeon magically um so he's just not doing too well so anyway the the creator of the oasis you know has actually died um and he left in his will this competition to be held um inside this world and anybody who won the competition would actually get to own the oasis this um so of course um and and uh, this guy the creator of the world is actually a huge 80s fan as well just like the author um, and so the the competition is very based on that. So a lot of people, including Wade, are, have studied and gone all crazy about eighty stuff and are really into eighty stuff. So it's kind of interesting that even though it is a, it takes place in the future, it's very much the world is very much affected by the eighties culture because everybody's obsessed with trying to win this contest. Right. Um, and of course, he has a couple of friends that he has inside the world, and it's just a really fun book. It has a little bit of everything. It has some action, some adventure. It has some comedy. Um, it has some mystery and suspense. It even has some romance. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, Wade is just this little nerdy high school kid. So um, for any of you guys who grew up in the 80s, you know, and were at one point in time a nerdy house school, uh, or high school kid, you could definitely relate to him. And yeah. it was just a really, really entertaining book. I, I enjoyed every minute of it, and I, I didn't want to put it down. And I could even go back and read it again now and still enjoy oh, yeah. it. Well, and there's so many little things in there that – so many references to, like – I'll be honest, I didn't even grab all what they were. There's a certain point you're reading through the book where you just get a reference you don't know, and you'll just blow past it because you're not going to go look it up. But there's so many things that you'll hit from, you know, when you were young, and, and uh, or if, even if you weren't young, as long as you really lived through the 80s, but some of you liked, um, you'll, you'll really, there'll be a lot in here for you that I think is really cool. But also just the fact that he's following this quest, I actually think of this book as, as this kind of really good mystery as well. Like him trying to get through these... Um, you know, this this the, get these Easter eggs is what they're looking for. There's these three Easter eggs is what they're uh, they're calling there to get them. Like this the storyline, the driven part of the storyline of that too is what really kept me reading this book. Like I enjoyed the references. That was so much fun and it added a lot. But just the storyline itself had me totally hooked. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Well, and it seemed and it, because it's set up in such a way as you know, not only is everybody competing to kind of you know get to this grand prize. Which is you know inherit this guy's fortune, inherit the virtual world. Basically, it, the the sort of you know antagonist is the fact that this large corporation has been formed, where you know these people have this sort of unlimited time and unlimited resources to try to basically work together to exploit the system, to game the system, so that they can win in order to take control over the virtual world, so that they can profit off of it. Mm -hmm. So it's like I thought that was kind of a neat idea too. It's, you know, usually your bad guy is somebody who wants to destroy the thing you love or the people you love or the place that you love but they they want to keep this thing going but they want to run it as this like ridiculous for-profit thing where it's kind of this like utopian oasis like the name yeah. suggests where now people just spend all their time because it can be anything you want but these you know evil corporate people want to come in and make it something you have to pay for well, it's, it's such a funny little conceit like and you know so so close to so many things that if you do care about things like, you know, movies and games and stuff like that, you know, that sort of basic storyline is the kind of thing you think about every time you open your cable bill. I mean, it's like, it's funny to think that that's, you know, the driving force behind this, mm -hmm. this fantasy novel. And, but to Wade's experience, when you see this character, if they took it over, it would destroy the world that he loves by doing sure. that. No, so, exactly. Yeah, they, yeah. they are in a, in, a, in a very real way actually trying to destroy something because commercializing it, you know, would... Twisted would ruin it to him and uh, make it less accessible for people like his character who are quite poor and um, don't get to do much there. So no, and there's it, an aspect of that as well. I, I also think it was interesting how it hit on the whole the virtual world of it. it like you know, through it, uh, you know, Wade gets a bunch of friends and all of which. I mean, he, he knows what their avatars look like and he knows little bits and pieces of stuff he's been able to piece together just from talking to them about them. Um, but he has no idea who they really are. I mean, even there's a, one character in it who he has as his love interest, you know, and, you know, as her avatar is this cute little brunette girl, 
but he has no idea if that's what she really looks like, right. if she even is a girl. You know, he ha- he has no idea anything. Even his his best friend in the world, he has no idea what he looks like or anything. So, um, and there's a big mystery, but they definitely do hit on that. Is these people that spend their entire lives in this, and it almost kind of takes away from. For some people, it helps them out with their you know socializing. For some people, it takes away from it. I mean, it's definitely not looking at this this living this virtual world as necessarily. It's not saying like, oh, that would be the best way. It does. It also does hit on the fact like this kind of affects people in some right. negative ways as well, which I thought was good. You know, I like that he didn't just make it as in like, oh, if we all strapped ourselves into this virtual world, we would all be happy and perfect. Right. Because there definitely are some negative parts to it as well. Yeah, and the, and the real world has become a pretty terrible place in very realistic ways. It's oh, not like yes. post-apocalypse. Of, no, it's just become a terrible, resource-drained ugly like not a nice place to be like in a very realistic way and well, yeah. people just want to get away from that. even the the main character you know he's he's poor so he actually lives in kind of what the new slums are which they basically take mobile homes and stack them on top of each other and make these skyscrapers of mobile homes and then these people live inside of them and and they pretty much have to climb down scaffolding to get in and out of their homes and it's just not a very good uh, obviously lifestyle um, but I think it's interesting how they made it to where, you know, the guy who create Holiday, when he created this, he did make it to where it was free. And I think that brings in the whole thing where even these poor people are able to get on to this virtual world where somebody who's very kind of socially awkward like Wade is, you know, he's this little chubby, nerdy kid. When he gets on there, of course, he it's all about your words. It's all about what you say because, you know, how you look obviously doesn't matter. And he's, you know, really kind of crafty and witty and, and, and kind of a smart ass. So he actually does really well in the virtual world. So uh, it's just kind of interesting to see how that plays out, that whole dynamic of where he's this poor kind of nerdy kid originally. And then once he's able to get into the Oasis, then he's kind of more in control. And um, But then, of course, at the same time, it's, it really does still affect him when it starts talking to real people. You know, he still is kind of... When it gets to real relationships and actual real discussions, he's still a little kind of awkward. Right. So, but it's it's really really good. I would say anybody who's into video games, '80s pop culture, any of that kind of stuff should definitely pick it up, check it out. Um, it's a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, the name of the book is Ready Player One. Uh, the author is Ernest Klein. Um, so uh, you, you can download it on your reader or, or go by a bookstore in a library or something like that and check it out. It's a yeah. really really good read. Yeah, I think this is gonna be. A part of nerd culture, like I think this is, I think it's it's one of those things that's have, has built word of mouth. Because I think Mike, you just heard about it that way, and then we heard about it from you, yeah. and now you're hearing about it from us. So um, <laughs> I think it's going to really be something that people uh, really really know about and stuff too. So mm-hmm. and you can be on the, the cutting edge of that and be very very cool and hip nerd, <laughs> nerdy people like we are. And he's a fairly new author, so I'm really actually kind of hoping that maybe he, he takes this as a, maybe a sign to make more books. Not necessarily a continuation of this book, because it no, does no. wrap it up pretty nicely. But maybe something you know similar, which I think would be kind yeah, of good. Jared made a, a good point to me when before I borrowed the book from Mike. He said that you know, one of the things that's weird is you get the feeling that you know with this novel, because it does have such a very conclusive ending and it has such a very specific voice and it, and it has this conceit of all these this referential tone for all these different things like to the point where you said like you know a reference is being made but you're like i don't know what that is because sometimes they're spelled out and right. other times they're just thrown in so it'll say like just like in the classic scene from revenge of the nerds other times there's just a line from ghostbusters and if you know it you know it and that's a fun little thing for you as the reader but mm-hmm. you mentioned to me you're like yeah you kind of do get the feeling by the end of this book that this guy kind of blew his load on this yeah, debut yeah, novel I feel like, like he he's kind of got nothing left with from this well but he's obviously good at what he did he's a good writer it's fun it's it's a fun story that's also not poorly written which unfortunately sometimes things have to be one or the other very high-minded and very flowing, but just sort of dragging, or really fun and exciting, but written at like a second-grade reading level. So it's yeah. nice that you have something that can have both those things. Yeah, I agree. So I think I think with you, Mike, that, that you know, probably I w- if he does something else, it'll have to be really different. But with how much I enjoyed this book, I would yeah, I would assume it would also be very good. It wouldn't need yeah. to be like this to be good, which would which would be be awesome. Just the way he writes is very really draws you in. And I'm not saying, not necessarily even using, but just using his love of video games and that 80s pop culture. I think he could still do a book that would be similar to this in in the fact that it reflects that love, but not necessarily the point where it has all these little, like, kind of, you know, uh, 
kind of points to that past or whatever. That's right. You know, Ernest, you can also love the 90s. Do one with that. The 90s were great, too. That's very nice. He's going to mention Nirvana songs. That's it? right. It was great. So it was good. So our first book review, our first literature review on the Used Gamers podcast. Well, that's about it for this episode. Uh, we hope you guys enjoyed it. We've got some big stuff coming up. Somebody's getting married, so that's not really video game related, although it keeps you away from video games, I guess, yeah. so that's kind of related. There's that. Uh, exactly one week from today, we will find out what the PS4 is all about. February 20th, Sony's going to be revealing their new console, so we'll have Yay. lots of chatter. They console? They just keep They haven't said what it is. Day. You just kind of have to assume a big announcement is happening. Everybody's so if it's not the Vita console, 2, yeah. which God, I hope it's not, um, <laughs> or a new version of the PSP Go, um, or a new Zune, maybe. No, that would be Microsoft, wouldn't it? No, they're redoing the um, move. <laughs> that's what it is, the new move. Now with Connect. That would be weird. Um, but, and it might be, we might have more to talk about because there's a lot of uh, thinking that Microsoft is going to snipe them and announce their console before next Thursday just to get in the first word. So really? we'll see. Awesome. New news will be coming soon on the next gen front. So, uh, again, uh, check us out on the Facebook page. We're going to start being a lot more active there, trying to get more interaction with the people who are listening and getting more yes. people to listen uh we're also on twitter at the use gamers again something that we're hopefully going to get a little bit more active with but as always we appreciate you guys listening so signing off for myself i'm chris i'm mike i'm jared we are the use gamers and we'll see you next time bye Nobody wants to sneak past the crazy hobo guy. They want to shoot him in the face with a shotgun.